Hi, Chantel. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me on the I Am Unbreakable podcast. Thanks for having me. Super excited to hear your story. The little bit I know, and you and I have talked a few times, I'm trying not to get like the big story (laughs) because you are so incredibly interesting. Can you tell some people who don't know who you are what you do? Well, I'm an investment and wealth advisor. So I um, basically manage wealth for families, and I also do all of the planning, work as their CIO, managing all the aspects of their financial life. That is awesome. I've got to ask you, sounds like you're a female in a male-dominated industry, very similar to what I do. Mm -hmm. How did you get there? Well, I, um, my dad was a financial advisor, so I'd say I was exposed to it um, from a young age. He started his business from my bedroom um, when I was a kid, and I awesome. worked with my parents. My mom worked with my dad, did my high school co-op there, and just uh, decided to follow in his footsteps, so went to school for finance and economics, and when I graduated, my dad always said, you know, you can come into the business, and if you want to take over my business, it's yours, but I want you to get trained at a big company and, you know, learn the ropes, so that's that's kind of how I got started. (laughs) That's awesome. So, really, your dad, you know, same with me, he was always very much a, a big supporter, and never said, well, you know, you're a girl, you should maybe do this or that. It was just like, you know, follow your dreams. And if you're passionate about this, you know, take this road. And it sounds like your dad really supported you and kind of cheered you on, regardless of gender. Yeah, I'd have to say in my household growing up, I um, there's two girls and two boys. So I'm one of four children. And what number are you? I'm number three. Oh, Okay. And I would say when I look back, I didn't think of it growing up, but we kind of um, defy gender roles in that I'm in finance and my sister is in chemistry and my one brother is a teacher and the other brother started his career as a nurse. So wow. we kind of flipped the, the switch a little bit, I guess, if you think about traditional, like, you know, boys versus girls. <laughs> 100%. And like you said, traditional, but... I mean, I think our world today is anything but traditional when it comes to careers or following your dreams. I don't think, you know, that we can kind of pigeonhole women here and men here. I think, you know, to your point, same with myself, I didn't realize till I was probably, I don't know, 14, 15 years into the private investigation and the private sector where Mm -hmm. people went, how does it feel to be the first Canadian woman, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you know, I didn't even know that. I didn't even think about it. I just did what I loved. And I think you were probably the same or did did you know you were a female that was going to be sort of outnumbered? Not really. I'd say I didn't really notice it until I became more senior. Ah, interesting. You know, as you climb up, when you start out, it's pretty kind of gender neutral, but the higher up you go, the less women you see. And that's kind of when I started to notice it, I'd say. And then once I had children, it just was a little bit more apparent. Of course it was. But I didn't think about it back then. (laughs) Why when you had kids? Um, I mean, I guess maybe I have two daughters, so maybe I was just a little bit more aware but were you treated differently? Did people say anything about maternity leave or? I didn't really take much of a maternity leave because I was the first woman to go on maternity leave in my business. And Seriously? so wow. I kind of set the precedent and first I feel woman. bad that some other women that came behind me was like, I can't do what you did. Like you were literally working the whole time. You came right back to work. But I just felt like I was early on in the business I was building at that time. And um, I was really driven. And so I just felt like that's a decision that I had to make. Um, So then I guess coming back, I mean, no one would have noticed that like I had young children at home because I you know, just we talked about this, like I woke up super early, I was always put together, but behind the scenes, I look back now, I'm Clearly, like, how did I do that? Look at the blazer, look at the outfit, she'll stand up later. <laughs> exactly. So I'm you no took sleeper. your time to sort of uh, be a mom. But like you said, you kind of managed your time in a way where, you know, same with me, 5am girl, you know, mm-hmm. people would, when whenever I dropped my kids off, and I had three under the age of four, 
would be, you know, showing up in their, you know, I guess their husband's white T-shirt, probably breast milk leaking out of their white T-shirt, you know, hair up, you know, gray track pants. And I've got like hair, makeup done. Mm -hmm. And they're like, do you get up at 3 a.m.? I'm like, no, 5 and, and it was just, but it's something I did for me. I didn't do it for them. I mm-hmm. didn't do it for, for anything to do with professional, but you kind of do it for yourself, right? And then it kind of allows you to continue throughout your day, which your day was obviously career driven at the time, which, so you've got, I think, six and nine, you said, right? Yeah. Wow. First woman to take maternity leave. And did you get any kind of backlash from anybody? No, I would say, looking back now, I think I pushed myself harder than, like, the business would have pushed me, right? I put more pressure on myself as a woman. And, you know, when I came back, a lot of my clients were the most supportive. They're like, why did you take such a short mat leave? Like, we would have still supported you if you were off. So I think that was refreshing. But for me, I felt like it was important for my identity a little bit. So this is not aliens. Mm -hmm. This is legitimately one of our alarms. So we're just going to pretend to ignore that for a moment. But in my mind, like what you're telling me is so interesting because if you really look at what it takes to sort of, for some people to conceive and then to actually grow a baby and then have a child, even your first is very Mm life-changing. No matter who you are, you can be superwoman it's life-changing and you sort of try to massage and integrate everything all together good for you I did the exact same I was you know after I don't know how you gave birth but I had four c-sections I was still like on the phones returning emails doing stuff like that and I wonder if men had children would they do the same I don't know but I look back now and I'm horrified like my second daughter was (laughs) natural childbirth and I bet you if you looked at my emails it was like three minutes after she was born and I like had my phone and I was like sending an email I'm like I can't believe I did that like I know a lot of adrenaline but still I know same and it's you don't you think like did we enjoy the moment of course we enjoyed the moment but it was just like why couldn't we let that go I feel like as women sometimes we almost have to always take that extra step or walk that extra mile maybe even just subconsciously yeah I think probably like in my experience I feel like I put more pressure on myself than maybe society would because I just felt like I need to show up but um yeah I felt like I had a lot of guilt when I wasn't working (laughs) I know isn't that ridiculous isn't it ridiculous because at the end of the day I mean by the sounds of what you're telling me, your clients were super supportive. Sounds like your, you know, your work and your coworkers were really supportive. It sounds like we beat ourselves up more than any other backlash that we get from like the outer influences. No. Yeah. I felt like that. At least. I did. Yeah. Same. No, no, same. I'm, I can relate to that 1000%. And so, you know, I am so incredibly impressed with the article that I just read and I'd love you to share your theory on the article and just share some insight and let's chat. Yeah so I know when we were just chatting earlier the concept of the sandwich generation a few people have come back to me and said I've never heard that term before and I thought about it because in my business like in the wealth management industry we throw out like so many statistics and terms right Mm -hmm. and We just use them thinking they're common knowledge. But I also think sometimes people use them without understanding the context behind the fact that this is a real person with a real story and real feelings. And it's easy to just say, you know, oh, the sandwich generation or how many women will control wealth, like 90% of women will be the sole financial decision makers. And we just say that. But we don't think about the context that most of those women end up put into that situation because they become divorced or they become widowed or they become forced due to power of attorney, exactly whatever the case may be. Let's talk about that. It's so, so important because I feel that, you know, what you're saying and the whole, you know, uh, pretext of what you just said now, and I feel that my 
all my success has to do with being able to be empathetic to my clients. Yeah. And people will call me and say, you know, people don't call me because they're happy. Being an investigator, they call us when, you know, their lives are falling apart, uh, missing children, divorce, custody, you know, death of a loved one, um, abuse of seniors, whatever the case may be, fraud. And so a lot of people will say, you know, I just called this other agency and this guy, da 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 and, you know, he was very rude. And so, again, this was two decades ago. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, oh, really? And I would take time and I would, you know, there was the first five years uh, to your point, is I would cry with my clients till three, four in the morning. Mm-hmm. You know, imagine losing a child. Imagine um, having a missing child. Imagine having, you know, your whole life blown up. And it seems like in that industry that I was in, nobody gave anybody any kind of empathy. Yeah. And so I built my business on that. And how ironic that 20 plus years later, and I know you've been in the industry for almost 20 years too. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So you gave that sort of love, the understanding and the empathy, the grace to people that came to you and they needed that because it's kind of like planning a will or planning when something goes wrong. People are never wanting really to talk about that. And sometimes I'm sure your clients come to you at the 11th hour Mm -hmm. and you either can relate or you can't. And it sounds like based on your success, you really can. Yeah. And I think like what I wrote in the article, I'm kind of on people's journey through the highest highs and the lowest lows, right? Like it might be you sold your business and you're finally converting that into, you know, a retirement plan that you've always dreamed of, but something can happen along that road. And I'm kind of holding your hand through all of that. So you get so many facets into a person and a lot of times I think we have these perceptions of people with money and that they don't have problems or that pain doesn't hit them the same way. I think they have more problems, <laughs> to be quite frank, sometimes. And you're right. Well, of course we do. It's the way we kind of look at Fortune 500 uh, people, celebrities, athletes. They're they're all humans. I don't yeah. care how much money you have in your bank account. Somebody very um, wise once told me, uh, regardless of how much money you have, your um, your grave is all, everybody's grave is the same size, mm-hmm. right? And that was kind of like, well, that's pretty morbid. And they're like, no, no, but really think about that. And I thought about it and it's true. I guess that what he was trying to say is at the end of the day, nothing matters because we all end in this, we begin and end in the same way, right? Yeah. You know, the only two things I ever say that's guaranteed is birth and death. Mm -hmm. Everything you do in between is a statistic and is, you know, choices that we make. And I guess his kind of point was, be a good person, be kind, understand that there is a human behind the other side of the desk or the other side of the screen or the phone, however you do business. And it sounds like you've got that so down packed. Yeah, I guess I've always been someone, even from childhood, that could understand and had a lot of empathy, right? And I think, you know, for a long time in the business that I'm in, I could tell that I conducted business in a different way. And I used to look around at some of my colleagues and I'd get intimidated. I'd be like, oh, I'm not doing what they're doing. Like, I was just really caring and a great connector of people, right? I'm great understander of stories and then all of a sudden I guess maybe it takes like when you're over 40 you just kind of start to own it a little bit more and think sure you know what maybe what I'm doing is like exactly what you should be what I should be doing and instead of trying to be like anybody else I'm just you know unapologetically me (laughs) I love that and I bet you the older folks and the younger up and coming are looking at you because right now you can read Forbes and you can read anything. Everybody is saying nobody wants to know the business. The business people don't buy into businesses anymore. They don't care about your product. They don't care about anything like that. They care about the person they're doing business with. Yeah. And you had that down packed, as do I feel I did years ago. That is driving success today. They're just sort of figuring that out now and they're saying that being an empathetic 
person or somebody that can connect with somebody else, with another human being on just a human level is so incredibly uh, powerful. Yeah. And, and you've got that. And did you, do you feel like you got that from dad? Yes. Do you? Yes. Uh, I share a lot of qualities with my dad. Like, uh, so very much so he did the same business and my dad was the one, you know, if his clients had no family, he was the one visiting him in long-term care. You know, he was the one, you know, going and when no one else was there. And so I think, you know, you used to look and I always admired that of him. I love that. So That's awesome. Can we talk about your dad for a second? Yes. Okay. Are we crying our eyelash? Oh, I don't think you have eyelashes on. <laughs> I'll probably cry mine off at some point. Okay. Uh, your dad was your hero, your mentor, a huge force in your life. Fair to say? Yes. So what's his story in the last year or so, or the last few years? Yeah. So I think, unfortunately, uh, my dad became mentally incapacitated very young. So how old was he? He was, uh, I guess, 69 when he first kind of told us that he knew there was a problem. I mean, he knew himself maybe before, but up until I think two years prior, he was running a business, the same business that I do. And he sold his business and he had, you know, maybe about a year to enjoy and then COVID hit. And it's very easy, it was very easy for a lot of people to hide onset dementia through COVID because you were isolated, you weren't seeing your family, you weren't engaging in social interactions. So for a while, it kind of went unnoticed, but also during that time period, you know, I wasn't going to see my parents because my grandmother was alive and my mom was her primary caregiver and I couldn't risk like So they all lived together, the three No, they didn't, just like, um, just that my mom could still go visit um, as a primary caregiver when my grandma was in long-term care. So I didn't want to risk like, you know, bringing home any sort of illnesses or viruses. It was, it was so <laughs> unknown that we were all terrified for the elderly or for the ill. And so, so <clears throat> let's, uh, so talk to me about your grandma yeah. for a sec. And then we'll go back, we'll kind of go in chronological order. Okay. So your grandma, yeah, my grandma, we moved her into long-term care during COVID. Um, and That's tough. That was hard. So she was she was in a retirement facility. I think we've moved her twice almost through the COVID. It's a, it's a little bit of a, a blur. <laughs> but, um, of course. <clears throat> yeah, we moved her um, from a retirement residence into long-term care through COVID and in and out of lockdowns. And I remember my grandma telling me, like, she... Um, lived in Europe, like through the war. And she said COVID lockdowns were worse than that. Like the isolation of just being kind of condemned to a room um, was harder on her. And uh, where where was she from? uh, She was from England. Yeah. So. And so she said that was hard, that that was harder on her COVID her last years. Yeah. Versus wow. And how old was she when she passed? 91. God bless. Almost 92. So, and so how did that all affect you? Uh, My grandma was one of the closest people to me in my life. So, you know, you're expecting it and you're preparing it for a long time, but there's a difference between someone like being on this earth and then not being on this earth anymore, even if you're prepared. Um, Of course, death is something that's so. I mean, unexplained, and you hope that there's an afterlife and a heaven and fluffy skies and wonderland. And then, but, you know, the people that are left behind are the ones that miss and sort of suffer. Yeah. Right? And so was that sort of your first big death? Um, Somebody that was, like, really close to you? No, I mean, well, I'd lost grandparents when I was younger. I think my grandfather passed away when I was in grade seven and my other grandparents passed away when I was in university. Um, but, but this was different. You're, you're now a mom. Yeah. I think you get it a little bit more. I think the older that we get, the more in touch with our mortality that we are. I don't know what the reason is, but I think it's different. What, yeah. It when different? you're, I mean, when you're a child, you're kind of just like invincible. You know, and yeah. And you don't really, I don't know. You don't draw the same connections. Like, I don't think you're mature enough to really understand and not really understand the feelings that 
you know, your parents are going through as, as they lose a parent, right? Of course. Because you're, you know, you're upset from a child's perspective, but you you don't really conceptualize the gravity of a loss. I of don't course. think at that, like, stage. Of course not. You know? Of course not. And so when did your grandma pass? 2021. And so at this point, did you find out about your dad? It sounds like they were almost back to back. It was like close succession. Yeah. So she passed. Your dad was living still at home with mom. Yes. Yeah. And then we moved him into a home a year, like eight, ten months later. So... And, and why was that? What, like, tell me what were the, the reasons that you would have to move your dad? Because, I mean, there's many different reasons people move uh, loved ones. Typically, it's for safety and for health reasons. Yeah. Is that sort of what, what yeah. fell in your plate? Safety, right? It's just when someone, um, you know, has dementia, it's a risk for them to walk out onto the street or wander into the backyard and fall into the pool or leave the stove on. Right. Like there's just so many things that could potentially happen. Um, and then you just need that type of care. So you talk about the pool and the uh, the stove, oddly. Um, your mom and him live together. Yeah. And so did your mom struggle with this decision? Yes. It was really hard for her to make the decision. And, uh, you know, we supported her as best we can, but I don't think anything prepares you. My parents have been together since they were 16 years old. They just celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. I don't think anything prepares you to, like, have to make that choice. Um, But obviously, like, I think caregiver burnout is real. And, you know, taking care of someone, and I see it even with my own clients, like, you know, full-time care um, is a challenge. And so being in a place where, you know, you're supported and my mom visits my dad every single day, um, you know, so I just think it's a... And it gives her a different quality of life, but also a different quality of relationship with him today. Because even though, so he doesn't know anybody at this point, right? He still a little bit knows my mom. Yeah. Does he? Yeah. That's nice. So that's it's it's nice for her, but does she feel better about him being in a home? Because I don't it think anybody feels like good about that. No. But I think does that she feel better? Meaning she knows that he's, he's getting the care, yeah. but also she's probably didn't sleep. Like how many years did she look after him that you knew of? Yeah, a few. Yeah, and then goodness knows how long she looked after him while you know. Let's not tell the kids we don't want them to worry, right? And then, but anyways, what my point is, is she goes there every day. She sees him. How How is she doing? Is she good with, meaning the situation currently, as good as you can be? Yeah, right? I think you do the best you can in the situation that you're presented with. Like, no one wants to be placed in that situation. No one Never. plans for that, you know, Um but I think she's managing as best as possible. I think she's doing a great job. Oh, that's good. And she does she get, I guess, the support outside of going to see him every day? Does she do things for herself? And the reason I'm asking this is, you know, a lot of the baby boomers now are coming of age. And, you know, like you and myself and many, many people and our clients that we know, they're caring for their elderly parents but it's a better situation for them, right? To take that burden of care off them. Yeah. Do you feel? Yeah, I I think so. I mean, the statistics are so strong in showing that, you know, caregivers ends up shortening their own life, right? Like they have a heart attack or they have a stroke because they're so focused on selflessly giving to the other person. And I think when we talk about women, right, in general, like that's what we I'm are trying the to givers get to. Yeah. And we do sacrifice ourselves for our children or, you know, for our so spouses. many things, our spouses, we put ourselves at the bottom of the list. Sure. And I think one thing that this whole experience has taught me is that um, taking care of myself is a priority because if I am not okay, I cannot be there for all of the other people that depend on me. And that's a total mindset shift. I hope every woman listens to what you just said, because that is by far the best advice 
and the hardest advice and the hardest thing to ever hear mm -hmm. because we always put ourselves last. It's like, got to look after the kids, then I got to look after mom, then I got to look after dad, then, you know, clients and the business and the whatever. And, uh, you know, to your point, you have that aha moment where, you know, I was sitting in my doctor's office and I was, oh my God, and, you know, my mom and this and that. And, and he sat and he looked at me, he said, so who's looking after you? And I just went, well, anyways, so what I was saying, and he's like, no, I mean, we're now going to talk. Who is looking after you? And I'm like, well, I guess me. And he's like, when do you find the time? And he really pointed these questions out. And I was like, I love my doctor. He's sadly retiring in a few days. Um, but anyways, my point is what you just said is probably the single most thing that women struggle with, mm -hmm. the single most thing that is hard for them to hear. They beat the crap out of themselves if they give themselves, you know, a five-minute bubble bath and, Lord forbid, they read a book. Yeah. Or they give themselves, you know what, we're going to do takeout tonight because, you know what, I don't want to cook. You know, and we feel shitty and we feel, feel guilty. However, isn't that so important? What was your aha moment? How, how do you know that at such a young age? Yeah, uh, I, in the article, I, I briefly touch on it that, you know, at some point it was a trip to the emergency room. But uh, let's the, talk about that. Yeah, from the day I found out about my dad, I was sick and I couldn't figure out like, you know, what's wrong? It was, I was taking COVID tests all the time. I didn't have COVID. And I was, um, you know, managing a large staff at the time. And, you know, through a global pandemic, I was commuting. I had two young children. I just found out about my dad. My grandma was still around, so I was dealing with that. And I was just like, keep going, right? Bury it down. Like I always have pull through, pull through, pull yeah, through. Yeah, come on, you warrior. Let's go. You do go. it. You can yeah. do it. And not like nothing, you know, nothing's bothering me. Right. And so, um, but I knew I was sick, but I'd done that multiple times in know, my career. But did you know, did you know it was the stress or did you just think, oh, it's something I've I got just a thought I had a cold, right? Like, you know, and I used to always, it would be like, Every year I'd run myself down so low to before the, till the end of the year that I would be sick and, you know, and so I literally the day before was hiking with my girlfriends and the next morning I woke up and I felt like I was having a heart attack and I looked at my husband and I was like, let's take the kids next door to the neighbors. I need you to drive me to the emergency room. I think I'm having a heart attack. And so he did. And so they do all the tests and everything and, um, they did an x-ray and then they came back and they're like, good news, Chantal, you're not having a heart attack. But the bad news is you have a very severe case of pneumonia. And I'd been like working and like hiking and all this stuff. And I had no idea. So um, I just thought it was like the little sniffles. It's kind of like, you know, shoulders back, chin up, let's go. Right. Yeah. But you didn't even ever think. Yeah. So then I was on very strong antibiotics uh, for a couple of weeks and they were like hmm, you're you're not getting better so they did a CT scan they and then then I really got scared they said we see a mass in your lung so in like a, a few days a couple of days like they were so quick I was in to see a thoracic surgeon doing a scope and I was just like I might have lung cancer right you're like, like that, I'm gonna that's, die yeah, yeah like I went through all those thoughts Who's going to walk my daughters down the aisle? Like, is my will in place? Do I have my life insurance? And all of a sudden, this kind of calm came over me where I was just like, if this is what my, if this is what it is for me, this is what it is, right? And luckily, um, it was just scarring from pneumonia and I was having checkups. But after that, I was just look back and say, okay, you know, like I need to, I need to take care of myself. I need to listen to my body. And it wasn't the first time for me that I had pushed myself so hard. I'd like ended up <laughs> very sick or in the hospital. And I think I was like, hmm, I can't necessarily do that. Um, and especially, you know, watching with my dad and, you know, going, working in a stressful job and you always question, like, did any of that attribute to, you know, um, his situation, but all I can do is change what I can control. And I was like, I can control, you know, um, 
being there for myself. I can control like if I get up and work out, I can control if I meditate, I can control what food I eat. I can't control any of these external factors. Of course. Um, and that was, I mean, that was a journey that probably I'd been in for about six years since my second daughter was born. Cause that was just like massive overwhelm stage for me that I was like, oh. how do I manage all of these balls? But then I think it truly came to fruition at that time period where you're like, okay. Well, when you get that terrifying news and you, even if it's a day, a week, a month, it's just like you think about your own mortality. You think about walking the girls, who's going to walk the girls down the aisle? Is my husband going to remarry? Mm -hmm. Are they going to have a female role model? And, you know, like you said, you just kind of put everything in perspective and thank God that everything was okay. Was it a few weeks later you started feeling better? Or was it when you actually changed your mindset? Because they always say once you change your mindset, you change your whole world, which I do believe in. But was it when you changed the mindset and you made even small changes, you know, professionally? Did, did that make a big difference for you? Yeah, I made some pretty big professional changes. They took a while to come to fruition. Um, but then kind of everything seemed to, uh, I guess, get better from that point. That's right? awesome. So. And I mean, today you're still, you know, a rock star in the financial world. You're killing it with living where you want to live in a peaceful environment. Mm -hmm. You've got, you know, the two kids, the amazing husband. What is next for you? What is, what are you aspiring to do tomorrow or six months from now, because yeah. I know you're a trailblazer in every single word that, you know, says trailblazer, but tell us what's next. Yeah, I guess for me, um, I really want to change the experience women have when they interact with the financial services industry. I want to have a place where women feel like they can show up with no judgment and no guilt and um, they feel empowered, financially empowered, um, personally that. empowered. You know, I believe there's kind of three pillars, at least that I look at. And that's like my health, myself, and my wealth. And I think they're equally important. I love that. Um, and where they all intersect, I call like your, your affluence circle. And I think for women, especially if one is really out of balance, like I spent a lot of time in my life, like, you know, the money might have, or the wealth part might have been out of balance or a core focus for me. And I was sacrificing the self and the health. And I just think that if we find that sweet spot where, you know, it's in balance, it's unique for each individual. Sure. That's kind of where we really thrive. Um, so, yeah. and how do people, so I love that. So how do people find that sweet spot? Because for me, the sweet spot that I had 10 years ago is not the sweet spot I had five years ago or that I have today. Yeah. And I think it's important, maybe just talk to us a little bit about how you sort of change as you grow and as things change in your world. Like you said, I mean, once you were single with no children and healthy parents and a grandma that, you know, rocked your world. And then you were in a different situation where you had children and things were a little bit different and a little bit more chaotic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so the path goes. So how, so when should people sort of relook at what their sweet spot is yeah. to, to obtain that balance that you're talking about? I think it's an evolution. Like, I don't have it figured out by any means. But one thing I would love to do is write a book on it one day because I get this this exposure, right? My oldest client is 97 years old and some of the youngest are, you know, teenagers. And so you see wealth across these generations and some of them are multi-generations that we've managed wealth for these families. And what I've been telling all my girlfriends, I'm like, you know, what I've recognized now is from, you know, 20 to say like 50, maybe people realize it earlier, we are sacrificing our mental and physical health to earn money. But yeah. what I see in my older clients is the money becomes less significant and they would give it all back to have their health. Sure. And so I think if we can, you know, whatever that right balance looks like for people, it's like how much is enough 
and also like what drives you what do you determine as success and that might not be what society determines as success but what do you personally what do you personally value value yeah and and I think that's unique to each individual right and just like my role there's no one size fits all you know, wealth planning solution for a family, it's very highly customized. And I think everybody can look and say like, well, you know, what, what would make me really happy? Like, what is that figure I'm working towards? And do I have a health goal? Or, you know, have I been sacrificing my mental or physical health? And I see that with so many women, um, you know, of my friends, like I see a lot of women as soon as they hit 40, and they have you know, they've really powered through and they've done it all and they look like they have it all together, but they're struggling. And then it sure. becomes so hard for them to walk away from the money. I call it the golden handcuffs of course. because they've worked so hard to achieve it. And also like if they're in a male dominated industry, they feel a duty to pay it forward to the next generation, to pave the path, to be the trailblazer. But a lot of times being the trailblazer comes as a sacrifice to your own, you know, your own family, your own mental health, your own physical health. And you're seeing a lot, like in the last couple of years since COVID, you're seeing very senior women opt out of their roles, their dream jobs, because they want to focus on themselves or their family, or, you know, they're just finding a different view. That takes guts. So much guts. Because, you know, you know, and, and I'm the same, and I, I got to say, you probably described me to a T in some of the things you just said, but it takes a lot because you're sort of torn between providing for your family, mm-hmm. like you said, leading other younger generations and, you know, being the cheerleader and the mentor. But I think what women are also recognizing, you know, myself included, which is why I started the podcast and the magazine, mm-hmm is that you can affect change and you can affect change on a larger scale, but maybe you're going to do it differently. Yeah. Maybe it's not going to be one-on-one because I, it's funny, I think we were trying to calculate how many divorces and separations I've gone through Mm -hmm. over the last two decades. And we're talking thousands, Mm -hmm. thousands. And it has taken a toll on me mentally and Mm -hmm. physically because imagine going through people that have gone through one or two or bad breakups. I've gone through thousands. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult. And I'm certain my, you know, mental state or physical state has suffered because of it. And same for you and same for hundreds and thousands of other women. Mm-hmm. But we continue to do it because I know I'm helping others. I yeah. know I'm helping that that woman or I'm helping that family or that man or somebody come to peace or or gain some clarity and truth, but at what cost does it come to us? And so, like you said, I feel like you do your time and that could be a year or that could be 30 years. You do your time and then you say, you know what? I'm good. I'm out. This is my legacy and I'm going to continue this way. You write a book, you start a podcast, Mm -hmm. whatever the case may be, but you still continue to live your passion, which is serving others. Yeah. And I think that's so important, like all of the research I've done and, you know, in terms of like, how do we attract women to, it could be any male dominated industry. And I think you hit the nail on the head is that women are searching or need to be fulfilled by a purpose that's greater than themselves. It's not necessarily the drive to, yes, we're motivated, we're maybe it's financially motivated or career motivated, or you want that success. But you need to feel that that success is driving a positive impact for others. Otherwise, you don't have that fulfillment to get up every day and push through whatever obstacle you have. And the same thing for me, it's like that's what wakes me up every day and drives me is that I can see the women that I'm influencing or that I'm impacting. And when I hear those stories or they reach out to me saying like, oh, my gosh, you inspired me. Like that is what like drives me to keep going. And I I think what you said too is it manifests in a different way. You know, like when I started in this industry at 23 years old, I didn't like necessarily, I always thought like I had a vision of where I wanted to be, but it took so many different turns. And of course, but you went with it. The the key uh, point to me and what I see with you is you went with it. You didn't say, oh, that's not my path. Yeah. Can't go down that road. It sounds like you you maybe had some resistance here or there, but it, it sounded like you really believed in 
you want to call it the universe, your higher power, whatever it is. And it sounds like you were pretty open-minded throughout your career. Is that, is that fair to say? I've been very open-minded. Like if an opportunity presented itself, like I was the person that I was like, I'm going to take it. And I look back now and I never thought, you know, at that point in my life, I was taking a risk, right? Like, and people thought, you know, like I was, I think I was 25 years old and I moved alone to Atlanta, Georgia. Like I just signed a lease with my best friend. I knew nobody. I'd never been there before, but uh-huh. a job like opportunity opened up and I was the candidate who got the job and I was like, like, I'm out of here. I'm going to do it. Right. And then I moved to Boston and then I moved back to Toronto and then I moved again, Etobicoke, Mississauga, um, all over the place. But I think I, I look back and uh, people will be like, that was really brave. And I didn't necessarily think I was being brave at the time. You were probably scared shitless. Yeah, I was. (laughs) But you still kind of believed in your, you must've believed in yourself. Because, yeah, and I mean, even my story, but definitely hearing your story, it's like people will be in awe of the fact that you did that. And you're like, they're like, how did you do it? And I'm like, I don't have an answer for you. I just did it. And I think that's part of it. Like, would that be something that you would say to somebody else, like sort of as a tip or an advice? Would you say if something, you know, opportunity presents itself, really look at it and just do it? Like, you can figure out the how, where, why, when, maybe later, but you just did it and look how successful you are. Yeah. And I think it all, you don't understand until you look back with hindsight, how all of those pieces, like I look at every, everything I've ever done in my career has led me to exactly where I am today. But as I, you know, you mentioned like it manifested in a completely different way than I thought it was going to. Of course, you wrote the story and it was, you know, this way, but yeah. the way that it presented was totally different. But what I love about you and what I love about women like you is that you still took the chance. You still took the opportunity, not knowing what was on the other side. And you're like, eh, there's going to be obstacles. There's going to be bumps and bruises along the way. I'll just deal with it the way that I deal with it. And you did. Yeah. Right. Because nothing, don't even tell me that you didn't have obstacles or bumps and bruises and whatever. Oh, yes. There was ups (laughs) and downs on the journey. Sure. Yeah. But you still never sort of went, oh, why did I do this? Maybe you went, okay, because to me, one of my favorite mottos is, you know, rejection is redirection or obstacles Mm -hmm. sometimes are redirection. It's the universe or whatever you believe in's way of saying, "Mm, not your path. Or not today. No doesn't mean no. No means kind of not now. And so it sounds like you just went, okay, fine, cool. I'm going to go then this way. Yeah. It's funny because I just wrote a post on LinkedIn, like using that exact language. Oh, come on. Rejection is redirection. And I really believe that because some of those times where I look back and, you know, you really wanted that promotion and you didn't get it or you were second in line and you'd be frustrated. But for me, I, I always looked and said, okay, well, what do I need to do better? Like, how do I need to improve so that next time I'm in line? Right. That, and, you know, my mother always taught me something that I will forever take to my grave. And I've taught my kids and whoever is interested and will listen. Sometimes it's also not what they say. It's who says it. And I was like, well, what does that mean? I mean, I really Mm. respect this person. And, you know, a, a common thing that people know about me is when, um, I was in grade 12. I marched down to my guidance counselor's office and I wanted to be a lawyer. And uh, as soon as I got down, they were like, oh, you know, he basically laughed in my face. <laughs> yeah, no, you're not smart enough. You're not good enough. You don't have the grades. You know, go get married, have a few kids, marry rich, you'll be fine. And I was like, oh, you know, be still my beating heart. What? Yeah. And I walked away and I kind of, you know, licked my wounds. And, you know, I could have married rich, had a few kids and did whatever, you know, they guided me to do. But I was like, no, I want more. I deserve more. I know I'm better Mm -hmm. than what my marks are in school. And now how great that there's so many different, you know, learning facilities and and ways to learn. But just because I didn't have the marks, nobody ever guided me to say, okay, well, you could do it this way. But I still never took that and let it sort of drive me into the ground and end what I was going to do. I still made my own money, had a career, had my own business, whatever. Mm -hmm. So how many women are told by their families or their guidance counselors or their spouses or their friends that they're not good enough? And what do you say to them? Yeah. Well, I mean, I was one of those, I probably, I'd say it was one of those people where the more you told me like, no, 
motivated the more it you. motivated me. Same. And I think for a lot of my career, I was motivated by that external validation or proving people wrong. And that was also, I think, not a healthy motivation. And now I'm like, I don't think I have anything to prove to anybody, but that I'm doing this age, for myself. Yes. That comes, that with, comes age. with age. Yes. So I'm saying to your younger self, would yeah. you, or to a younger person mm -hmm. that has been told no, yeah. what is like my, I, mine is very simple. When people ask me all the time, how'd you do it? You know, what, what's your advice? Three words. Yes, you can. Yeah. Yeah. But they told me I can't. Yes, you can. Yeah. And I think like when you mentioned the mindset is so important. And when I look like, you know, I used to um, hire and train people that were in my industry and a lot of my clients, almost all of them are business owners, right? And they all face some sort of, you know, setbacks. And I think like resilience and tenacity are what drive you forward in, you know, in this life. Resilience for sure, right? You see people, they had the marks, but then they didn't have the mindset. So as soon as they were rejected by a client, um, they gave up or they got in a negative cycle and then they just went back to safety. And when I look at the skill sets that I want to, you know, teach my daughters or what I would give to the next generation of women and say, you know what, you don't have to be the top of the class. But if you show up every day, no matter how many times you hear no or no matter how many times, you know, you just learn and you get better. And don't beat yourself up when you make a mistake. We're human. We all make mistakes. I think I would be like, oh, my God, my career's over, right? And I think, okay, wake up the next day. It's a new day. What did I learn from that? And What, what did I learn? Yes, and isn't that where growth comes from? Like, yeah. my thing is nobody's ever grown sitting comfy on a couch, you know, snuggled in their blanket, you know, watching Netflix or playing PlayStation or whatever they play. They come from the you know, growth comes from the hard nose, yeah. the tough times, the where am I going to get, you know, my mortgage or rent payment? How am I going to eat? Mm -hmm. That's where growth comes from. It doesn't yeah. come from easy peasy, right? Mm -hmm. And so I feel that even the generation coming up, I think gets that more than our generation does mm -hmm. because they're kind of like, well, I'm going to live, you know, my life in my 20s and my 30s and I'm going to work hard, but I'm going to be open-minded, free, and I'm going to be open-minded to a lot, Yeah, which I love that kind of freedom of thought, right? Yeah. Um, and, and we were very sort of driven and, okay, it's got to be like this, this, mm -hmm. and this. This is the life path and you follow it, right? Correct. This is the only path to, to success. Correct. And then now I just look and I'm like, well, there's a lot of path to Many success, different right? Right. And there's a lot of industries you could do or ways that you now with the internet can create a business or build a business sure. that never existed 20 years ago. Right. No, exactly. So. But so, you know, still the thing is that you're telling people is regardless of gender mm -hmm. regard. And that's my message, regardless of gender and obstacles. Yes, you can. And just be open minded and sort of follow whatever your dream is. Is that, mm -hmm. is that sort of your message to everybody and every life that you touch? That's what I'm getting from you. Yeah. And I think it's like aligning to that purpose, right? And whatever that may be, right? For some people, that purpose might be like staying home and raising children. Mm -hmm. For some people, the purpose is, you know, writing an international bestseller or touring the world. And I think when we are the most satisfied is when we align to what feels right for us, not and like what feels authentic, like authentic to ourselves, to right? yourself. Yeah. That, that is such an important message. I feel that, you know, you know, as women, a lot of times we do conform yeah, because that's the way we're raised and, you know, we self-sabotage ourselves sometimes. Right. And being, you know, true and authentic. I also believe co comes with experience age. <laughs> and age. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, but it also comes with an understanding that if shit goes to hell in a handbasket, I'm still going to be okay. I'm still a good person. Yeah. I'm still leading with love and compassion and authenticity. And that to me, that's the win. It's yeah. not the, the amount you've got in your bank account. Of course, it's very helpful to be financially okay. Mm -hmm. And it's not, you know, having kids or not having kids, having the husband, you know, regardless 
of the outside influences. I think, like you said, it's all about self-care. Yeah. It's all about making sure you're okay so you can look after everybody else too, yeah. which is sort of really what your article, which I love, 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 and I'm going to include a link to, um, really does portray is you have to look after yourself. Um, you know, you even touched on, you know, some depression, mm-hmm. you know, going through this, of course, you're going to be depressed. Of course, people are going to, you know, kind of hit roadblocks with depression. How do people deal with that? Mental health is so huge. And I'm very much a mental health ally. So yeah. how do people cope? Oh, I mean, I think it's unique for everybody going through that, right? Like Mm -hmm. you do what works the best for you, whether that's like seeking professional help, whether that's like, you know, going to the gym or mindfulness was was like, and was very like instrumental for me as, as I like manage multiple things throughout my life, right? I think mindfulness is the key, regardless if you need, you know, hospitalization, medication, uh, professional help or, you know, working out at mm-hmm. the end of the day, once you get through all that mindfulness is still the key and the foundation of, of good mental health. Right. Mm-hmm. And like you said, if you feel like, okay, you know what? I'm not feeling great. Same with me days. I'm not feeling great. I'm like, guys, I'm tapping out for an hour and you go to the gym or you know what? I'm going to not take calls for three hours or six hours or the whole entire day. And I'm going to self care. Cause a lot of people think self care is, you know, manicures, pedicures, your hair, mm-hmm. Which is all very important, by the way, ladies, for me anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, self-care has to do with, you know, your your mind, mm-hmm. your body, your soul, right? Yeah. And I feel like from what I read, working out really and, and the mindfulness and the meditation was huge for you. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, like loving and accepting yourself, right? I think for a lot of times for women, like we're our worst critic. You know, I love like Mel Robbins and she'll be like, don't say something to yourself in the mirror that you wouldn't say to your best friend. And we're so encouraging of our friends, right? You'd never say to your best girlfriend what you say to yourself in the privacy on your own mind. And I was so guilty of that as well. Same. But just to be like, okay, you're okay. Or like, it's okay that you feel like this today. Tomorrow's a new day and we're just going to wake up and see what what comes right but giving yourself that grace because a lot of times we don't give ourselves that grace we punish ourselves and we feel guilty and then that piles on then we feel worse like oh i didn't go to the gym and i didn't do this vicious cycle right of like i felt really bad and then i beat the crap out of myself for the last two hours now i feel even worse yeah but yeah it's it's about forgiveness and you know the whole it's okay not to be okay yeah is massive and telling people like you know what I'm not feeling good today and people are like oh are you sick do you have a fever do you have a migraine no I mentally don't feel well do you need me to call 911 are you having a nervous breakdown no I just don't feel so great today I just need you know to take a step back is empowering because you know people tell you when they have a cold and they have you know a flare-up with diabetes or Crohn's or colitis whatever the case may be but it's you know still changing you know the narrative and the bias around mental health and saying it's it's okay just today just don't feel great mm-hmm. and then tomorrow I'm going to feel better or you know after I go to the gym I'm going to feel better right yeah my mom told me something when I was home last and she was like you know humans are not machines and you wouldn't run a machine nonstop full out without ever you know taking it in for you know, an oil change or changing the tires or like just giving it a break. Right. And mm-hmm. so I think in this world that's so interconnected and we can always be on and we can always be on our phone and there's always someone that needs us are for our generation, like training ourselves that it is okay to take an hour for yourself or, you know, I had to train myself like I don't need to respond to an email immediately or in the middle of the night or Same at 5 a.m., right? Yeah, that's tough. Um, it's it's tough because you want, you know, you're sort of compete. Like, it's good in one sense. I always say it's UVU, but who are you really competing with when you're answering an email at 5 a.m.? I mean, yeah. I slowly started to move my phone sort of away mm-hmm. from where you sleep because that is, you know, the worst of all evils, especially for women. Yeah, You know, my husband can sleep and he's like, I don't even know where my phone is. I'm like, how could you not know that? And now mm-hmm. I'm kind of like, you know, whatever. And I also think it's training your clients. Yeah. 
right? A lot of times for me, and I don't know how you are, but you know, I would be on 24 seven, 365. Our business does not sleep. It just mm -hmm. is what it is. We don't hold nine to five hours. And, you know, I remember this one client, you know, woke me up totally just was off the rails and I, I did help her, but it was that aha mm -hmm. moment where it's like, what if my phone was off? Mm -hmm. Would she have died? Would anybody have died? Would it be, you know, so detrimental to my business? Even if something, and it wouldn't have, but something happened to her, that doesn't belong to me. Mm -hmm. I cannot be on for you 24 hours a day. So, sorry, kind of, you know, veering into something else is training our clients to also be respectful of us too, mm -hmm. I think is a good thing. But your point sort of is we put that responsibility onto ourselves. Yeah. I love women that are like, well, yeah, don't don't work with Saturday or Sunday. And yep, don't call me after six because mm -hmm. I'm not answering. I'm like, how the hell do you do, how do, that? You do that? Yeah. <laughs> but it's like it is the discipline that they've taught themselves. And I admire that. Like there is no tomorrow. It is so important. I mean, I've adopted that, you know, a few years ago, but it, it was tough. Yeah. And I think it's more training ourselves, right? Like I don't know if our clients have the same expectations of us that we place on ourselves because like they're so important to our business, right? Of course. But um, I don't necessarily think that they're expecting you to respond at 5 a.m. Like Who knows? <laughs> I mean, some of mine for sure are. But to your point, um, sometimes somebody just wakes up and they're having, or they didn't sleep all night, they're having a bad moment. They're like, you know what? I'm just going to send her an email. Mm -hmm. Fully not expecting a response. Because yeah. sometimes I'll respond. They're like, oh, why are you up? Yeah. I'm like, because you freaking emailed me. Are <laughs> you tired? My phone, you know, went off, which now I turned my phone off. Mm -hmm. But anyways, so yeah, I think like your point is very clear. It's not them. It's it's the expectation. I think we're the ones that are more hard on ourselves than our clients or our family and friends. Yeah. So that definitely is something that we as women need to be uh, conscious of and find a way to sort of navigate where the sweet spot is where we can still thrive in our professional life but also be okay uh, personally and then be okay for our families too yeah I had to learn a lesson again maybe being over 40 helps but that no is a complete sentence and I think like I saying no to something because I am the queen of taking on everything, right? And saying mm -hmm. no to nothing. Um, but then I recognize that, like, it's okay to, like, focus on the things that are serving you or serving your purpose or serving your clients. Sure. And it is okay to not feel guilty to say no to, like, certain things, right? Instead of saying yes to everything. hundred <laughs> percent. It was so funny. I remember when my kids were young, and as you know, I've got the four boys, I was like the um, president of the, the parent council. I managed um, all their hockey teams. I was running a business. I was raising four boys. I was mm -hmm. doing this. I was doing that. And then finally, I, ca I came home one night, and the kids were like, where were you? I was like, I was at your school because I was doing parent was Like, I just wanted you here with me. And I went, be still my beating heart. Okay. And then when I went and told the school, they're like, but you're so important. I'm like, but I'm more important at home. Yeah. And they struggled with it. And I, of course, again, you feel like that guilt, but it's like, no, making family my priority always mm -hmm. and everything else. I don't want to say a secondary because you've got to have a life and you've got to, you know, work and obviously make a living, mm -hmm. but you've got to set your priorities, I think. And I yeah. think once you have children and your children are at that age mm -hmm. where they still want you around all the time, they even if they're not playing with you or talking to you, they know mommy's over there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Don't you think? I do. I was just thinking of a story there. Like, I remember when my kids were little, like, I worked a lot. And I had a nanny. And my youngest, um, it feels terrible to say now, but, like, I didn't know her personality, right? Like, 6 a.m., I'd leave. i go to work. I got home. It was 6 p.m. And then I'd Almost feed her. And then she bed. goes to bed, right? And then COVID hit. She was, like, two and a half. And I got this window I was like, oh, you have such an amazing personality. Like, I get to be around for the days. And, you know, obviously I wasn't traveling for work during that time period. 
And then when I started traveling for work again, my girls would get really upset when I left. And I'm like, I left you all the time when you were little. And they said, well, mommy, we didn't really know you then. And now we know we you and we love you. And so we really like that you're around. Okay, and I'm like, okay, heartstrings, <laughs> I right? I was just going to say. But it's true. Like, I mean, they weren't wow. like aware, right? It, it, as a, a baby, like they couldn't articulate. No. That they just wanted but me now to be there could. all the time. And now I'm like, okay, yeah, it's important for me. Um, and I, you know, made some big changes with my life and my career in order to be like, you know, present mm -hmm. in those evening hours or around or, you know, traveling less so on the road less so that I could just be there more. For them. And I'm sure they love that. I mean, there is a certain amount of independence that kids need because they want, I mean, my kids still now and they're grown ass adults, but they all still live at home. They're all still happy when I come home. Well, maybe not all of them, but most of them on most days. But they want you around. But I think it's also important to sort of detach from them to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. I mean, giving in to them 100% isn't fantabulous. But mm -hmm. your kids are at such a young age. And for them to say, well, I didn't really know. It's like my heartstrings, they're not even my kids, would be like, oh. But you know what? I don't feel like you did anything wrong or anything, you know, detrimental to them. Because you were doing what you knew, yeah, you know, and what you did best. And it's funny because a lot of times I would say to my mom, damn, I didn't know parenting was so hard. And she's just like kind of laughing. She's like, yep, well, I wasn't going to tell you because I wanted grandkids. I'm yeah. like, really? I'm like, you couldn't have laid it out a little bit better. She's like, it is the most important thing I've ever done yeah. in my life. That That's her take. And I definitely feel the same. And I definitely also think that there's so much other things in life that bring me joy. Mm -hmm. And a lot of my friends don't have children and they're very happy. Yeah. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, if you're a mom, you get it. It's, you know, one of the, the things, and I'm going to have you actually, I'm going to chat with you afterwards mm -hmm. about writing an article mm -hmm. um, where it's entrepreneur versus mother. Mm -hmm. That's tough. Yeah. It's not an easy position to be put in. And sometimes you got to pick the entrepreneur or, or professional, right? Yeah. You, you do. If you've got a meeting and your child's sick, but it's a meeting you cannot cancel. Mm -hmm. Oh, I've been there. I've been there so many times. The right? mommy guilt, yeah. right? And it's just like you're bawling on the way to the meeting and whatever, and I'm calling and da, da, da. And I come home and they're all happy and they're – I'm like, really? Like, I think I've lost, like, I don't know how many hairs on the way back, you know, flying, you know, at 130 to get back, and they're totally fine. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, to your point, I think, you know, we really beat the crap out of ourselves. There was, it's funny because I saw a TikTok, um, I think it was last week, and uh, I can't remember the actor that was talking, but he basically said the same thing. He's like, if I spoke to my friends the way I used to, because now mm -hmm. he's past that, the way I used to speak to myself, I would have no friends. Yeah. <laughs> right? And it's just like, wow, but you're you, but he would like really beat the crap out of himself. So I don't think it's, you know, I always look at it sort of non-gender related, like yes. regardless of gender, it's, you know, the human behind the story, but how interesting that, you know, sometimes we are our own worst enemies. Yeah. Cool. When I think about that, I was just thinking of a, a quote that another um, female business owner said to me once, and I think it's important for young women because I think, you know, we were the first generation, in my opinion, be brought up as the be it all, have it all women, right? Like yeah. we had those opportunities and we wanted to seize them, but we were also managing like so many different like avenues that maybe like, I know my mother was not Same having to mine. manage yeah. and she looks and says, I don't know how like you do what you do, right? So my mom says yeah. too, yeah. And um, I think it was so um, amazing. I heard this business owner share and she was very authentic and she said as women we can have it all just not all at once and oh. I think one of the things that I was like really striving for the all at once right and then things start to fall off the rails right where sure you can't put everything as a top priority but I think 
for younger women knowing like you can have it all and maybe it's not all at once and it's having phases and you know I've seen my friends that were executives and then stayed home while their children were young and then launched businesses and there's no timeline I think I lived so much of my life on like a timeline and I have to accomplish this and now I see women and then this at this age and then I have to have all my kids whatever and I had my last kid quite significantly later in life yeah uh, my other ones earlier and I was the young one mm-hmm. having my last kid yeah and people were like mid 40s late 40s yeah in the delivery rooms and I'm like so intriguing yeah and they were like yeah but we had to have careers and, we had, and I was like awesome right like it's it's just like you said your timeline is your own yes. don't kind of conform to what society or what what whoever lays it out for you conform to what's good for you yeah right if you want to have kids young great you want to have no kids perfect Mm -hmm. you want to have kids later awesome but do it on your own timeline yeah that that is and it's never too late like I see now I look at me and I'm like oh I wish I had the confidence to like launch this business before but maybe I wouldn't have had the experience like where I was bring the same level of value. But then I also look up and I see women in their 50s and 60s, like and launching 80s. business and 80s and 90s. And yeah. I'm like, there's no time. Like as long as you are here and you have that, you know, drive to chase and follow something that's like a burning desire for you, it's not too late. You haven't missed the boat. And I think a lot of times we compare ourselves to each other and we're like, oh, well, they did this or like, you know, at this age or this age. And then you think it's too late. You feel like you're behind the eight ball. But at the same time, if it's your passion project, like I can't see myself never working. You Mm -hmm. know, people are like, I can't wait to retire. Fair enough. But what does your retirement look like? Does yeah. that mean you're doing a podcast? Does it mean you're speaking, you know, four times a year around mm-hmm. the world? Does it mean, you know, you're writing your memoirs and your book or whatever the case yeah. may be? I think women like us, we don't ever retire mm-hmm. fully, yeah. but I feel that we're going to continue to serve and lift and mentor others, which is what our generations coming up really need. Yeah. Don't you think? Agreed. Who yeah. was your mentor growing up? Besides your dad. Uh, yeah. Female um, mentor. Let me see. I had I had female mentors and male mentors, like, through work. I'd say they were both, like, equally impactful. Um, but what about female mentors, somebody that we might know? Oh, I mean, most of them probably wouldn't be, like, well-known people, right? They were just people that I aspired, like, that I looked up to work-wise. Um, and, you know, I would kind of look and I... I've heard this other great quote that was kind of like, follow your jealousy. It shows you something about yourself. So those women you'd look up to and say like, oh, you know, like you admire, but you're secretly like, oh, you know, I wish I could do that or I wish I could do that. And and so the more you just identified the common qualities of those women, you were like, how can I create a life that looks like that? Right. Um, uh, it might be a different path, but... Uh. Yeah, no, and that is so true. Sorry, because I was actually reading something um, the other day in regards to that, and it's sort of like the person you envy most mm-hmm. is a person you look up to be like yeah. most. One of my biggest mentors was Oprah Winfrey, and whenever I would be interviewed, people are like, oh, Oprah? And I'm like, yeah, like she was like you know, an orphan, she was like, you know, the one that wasn't supposed to, uh, you know, do anything. And look what she's done. Look what she's done for society. Look what she's done for women. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, people would say things that were totally, you know, offside. And I was like, you know, race, color, gender, nothing ever really played a role until people pointed it out to me. Yeah. And I was like, but I don't care. She was, she's not what she is such an incredible human being. And, you know, now, today, our youth have so many female mentors, which is amazing. But I feel like growing up, we didn't have so many, Mm -hmm. right? And so that's why I think it's awesome with what you're doing. Thank you so much for your service. My last sort of parting question to you is quite funny. So if you're on a deserted island, Mm -hmm. what's one product you would not able to survive without I'll tell you what mine is okay mine is like lip gloss of any kind my lips are continuously dry so I always put something on what's your product I say it's like water but I don't know if I have a product maybe dry shampoo (laughs) 
dry shampoo is definitely a saver for most women, especially when you're like, oh shit, and you, you know, whatever. And anyways, you look fab. Thank you so much for joining us. I so appreciate you. Thank you.